Well, good morning, Covenant community. It is great to be back here. Um, if some of you remember, Liz and I uh, got our start here with Navigators and serving with the Covenant community from 96 to 1999. Uh, last night, I was reminded, though, uh, Ed Hoskins and I came in for the, some of the local ministry celebration, and I just think there's some advantages to living local. I mean, Everett, Parks, Mary Kievers, everybody who stays here looks young. And, and, and here's how I know this. I came back and I haven't seen some of you. If you missed me when I was here last time, and we were in the Middle East for almost nine years and may have missed you when we came back. And like, John Hess, you, you really look different. Uh, you look a lot older. Thanks. That's, that's great to hear. Thank you. You have the gift of discouragement. No, just kidding. Um, no, it is great to be back here with you all. As I mentioned, Liz and I had our start here. And while we were here also, we had a, developed a heart for the nations just being in the dorms, uh, serving here at Covenant. Um, the, the, our topic this morning is, what is the motivation for us to share with anybody or to share about our faith? What would our motivation be? And we all know there are so many wonderful tools and best practices out there to help us. There's great ministries here to help. WDA, Navigators, the Clayton's with Crew, and, and many others. Books on the topics. But still, we wrestle with the motivation of what's going to get me going to do this. And for, for me, my life, there are two life-changing events that have really helped me understand my motivation. The first one uh, re relates to when I started dating Liz. I went to Kent State University, and I had met Liz at camp at Eagle Lake, the Navigator's Camp. And of course, we started liking each other, but we had to go home for the summer back to our respective colleges. And I was really smitten by Liz. I mean, I guess you could call it, I was in love. And our sophomore year, all the guys in our dorms, we decided, uh, five friends of mine, let's move off campus and get into a house. So those of you who've done that, you divvy up responsibilities. And my friend Rich in the house had the responsibility of the phone bill. I know for your millennials, a landline, I don't know if that's, <laughs> it's something, you know, pick up a phone, there's, there's a cord actually attached to it with no battery, and um, it's not all you can eat. You actually get charged if you talk long. So here's where I was going with this. Rich had the responsibility of going through the phone bill with everybody. Saturday morning rolls around and we're watching basketball, and you know, you, you, you could have thought he was a, a poet, you know, with uh, his expression. He just comes out of his room and he's like, who talked to someone for 182 minutes in Chicago? Who would do that? It's $62. Fess up now, who did it? And I was like, I, I did that. John, who did you talk to? I go, well, I talked to Liz. He's like, what would you talk to her for 162 minutes for? Oh, no, I'm sorry, 182 minutes, because it was three hours. Someone quickly did the math. And I said, I don't know, I think I'm in love. Go, what? I go, I'm in love. It just flew by. Well, what'd you talk about? I don't know. I don't remember. I just, you know. <laughs> and they're like, well, just, well, give me 62 bucks and, you know. But anyway, the, the thing that, you know, I hope caught your attention was the, not the 180 minutes, but it flew by. I don't know if Liz and I have talked 182 minutes since then. On the phone, at least. Of course we have. So, but the motivating factor there for the 180 minutes, 62 hour phone bill, was I was totally in love. And I think of when I get back to sharing with my friends, sometimes it, it comes down to, do I really love my neighbors? Do I love where God called us in the Middle East? Do I love who is in front of me? 
And the second scenario, the second experience I had that, that motivates me is that I have the mind of Christ. And a passage that has always caught my attention is, is 1 Corinthians 2, 16, where Paul is actually referencing Isaiah. He said, who has known the mind of the Lord that he should counsel him? And then Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. So things we think about, things we do, it stems from the mind of Christ. And another reminder from my college days of having the mind of Christ, I need to be cautious. I know there's some college students. I'm going to talk about cheating. This isn't a new form of cheating that you learn from the navigators. But my roommates, back to my freshman year, uh, my roommate was uh, Travis. And there was a gentleman on our floor, Matt. He was a med student, expert in chemistry. And I knew Travis had not been to class almost all semester, chemistry. I go, Travis, what are you going to do? You know, finals are coming up. He goes, oh, I'm, I'm paying Matt $100 to take the test for me. He's Garrett. It's wrong, by the way. Non-navigator practice, just want to remember. I know Crusader crew does something like that, but not the navigator. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so I said, wow, um, Travis, you're, you're going you're to pay Matt? I mean, what if you get caught? He goes, well, I'm not like looking on someone else's paper. He's going in with my ID, we look like each other, and he's going to take the test. He's done it before. I'm like, okay. I'm like, don't you think that's kind of wrong? He's like, well, it'd be wrong for me to get a bad grade, you know, but, but no. But you know what caught me there, you guys? He used someone else's mind and got a better grade. There are so many times for us, we're not going to have it in ourselves to love people. We're not going to have it in ourselves to sometimes figure something out. And that, that's why I think God said, well, I've given you my mind. I've given you the mind of Christ to love, to listen to people, to talk about life, and, as we're going to get to, how to share my story, that you'd be my ambassador. So I'm thankful for my motivating things there. I do have love because of Christ, and I have the mind of Christ, which all of us have if we're in Christ. But you know what? Something happens to us. Not just that we go from 180 minutes down to text messaging people we love, but something happens in our lives. And when we look at, um, there's a chart behind me, and as I mentioned, I served here, and um, I'm an off-the-charts people, liberal arts major, so where does God send me to Purdue, to all the engineers? So back in the day, I actually put this little um, graph together. And really, it's how many years you've been a believer and experiences you've had. And as I plotted along some of the guys I was discipling, Liz and I, couples, we noticed that everyone in, in the faith, we peek out somewhere. And usually we start complaining, we get into books, we get into topics. But usually when we look at this graph underneath where we peeked out, it's people who's, who've helped us into faith. Someone discipled you, somebody mentored you, someone came into your dorm, your workplace, shared the gospel with you, your neighbor invested in you, your mom and dad may have invested in you. But where we peek out, we don't go to the next level because you know what? We don't give our lives away to others. We don't give our lives away to sharing the gospel. We don't give our life, and this is me. You know, I can get so busy doing the Lord's work, I don't spend time with them, and I don't spend time with the lost. And that, then I just peek out. So the next place in life where we grow in joy and love is when we give our lives away to others. And yes, it can be your kids, family. It can be people at work, people in the dorms. But the point is, we peek out when we don't give ourselves. We don't give ourselves to others. And as I look at Jesus' principles that he modeled in ministry. It was reflective of God in him, God's character. As I look at Jesus, he did three things. He sees people, he sends, and he has a message of his, that he saves. When he saw this woman here, 
the woman at the well, or possibly this is the woman caught in adultery. What I love also with Jesus, that when he sees people, he observes them. Because it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. This is Matthew 9, 36 through 38. Familiar passage to all of us. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. So compassion is identify, I see the pain, but he has the power to alleviate it. He has the ability to alleviate the pain, which all of us do. The songs we sang, the world is waiting to hear of the Christ. Our worship this morning, that with the mind of Christ and the love we have, we have something in all of us to alleviate the pain. You know, hearing last night about all the ministries going on locally, hearing the ministries of, of Trinity Mission with uh, men and women caught in addictions, we really have to believe the mind of Christ is what will do it. And that's what happens when we see people with compassion. Now, I'm meeting with a young man in, in the Springs. Um, Liz and I were selling a car, and um, he came to buy it with his dad, which I always respect. And as he bought it, he noticed we had the little nav logo to get in the Glen Erie. It's the Navigator headquarters. He, I said, I have to remove that because, you know, you'll be able to get in. And he goes, oh, I've, I've heard of that in town. What is that? That's so why I told him I was a chaplain with the Navigators. I help people in their faith. And um, he goes, I'd, really, I'd like to talk with you. Um, I've been going through some depression and anxiety in my life. And I was like, wow. Just right away after buying my car. Maybe it's because I gave him a discount. Um, I said, yeah, I'd love to talk with you about that. So we've been meeting you know, uh, ever since. And I, I talked to him. I said, you know, Craig, um, I, I've got some friends at work in the you know, medical. And I, I just want to ask, you know, are you eating right? A lot of it's body chemistry. He goes, yeah, and I'm actually seeing a counselor to kind of go through my thoughts. And just as I opened up with um, God's given us the mind of Christ, and I go, Craig, you know, the reason why I wanted to meet with you, I want to know if you want to read the Bible. And secondly, when we get together next, I want to tell you the story of how God changed my life. Because I believe that seeing a doctor and a lot of physicalness, you really need. But, you know, there's a spiritual component to this. He goes, I know. I really feel like something spiritual. I'm reading all these books on spirituality. I'm watching this YouTube. I said, you know, I read up a little bit. And when I come to a conclusion, sometimes anxiety is believing God might get it wrong. Depression is God got it wrong. But you know what? Peace and joy, which I hope you're looking for, it's in Christ. And he, but you know what? Your mind really has to change. He goes, that's what I'm looking for. I want to change my thinking. It's driving me crazy. Well, having compassion on people and really listening, we can identify and spot the need. And you know what? That conversation I had with him, some of it was some research, but some of it was just like, Holy Spirit, after listening, what do you want me to say? And he gave me the words, and he'll give you the words. So who do you see? And then see yourself as a sent one. And a message of salvation for Craig was, I want to have a right mind. For me... As I walked with God, uh, some situations were happening in the world. You know, as, as Pastor Henderson mentioned, the coronavirus. You know, back in my day, back in school, back in the 90s, that's actually me there in that picture. Now you're, now you're really wondering, boy, living away from here does make you look old. That's actually when I, I had hair. Um, so we went, as some students, we went to Russia right after communism fell. We were out in a city, um, Akadem Gordak. It was a city of science. And we hired some of these students. We got in there, got to know them real quick, and we wanted to, we told them we wanted to tell people about our faith, because Russians would always ask us, and at that time we had freedom to, to tell them. And this young man, Pasha, we paid him a dollar a day. He was making more than some of the professors, some of the doctors that were in Russia as they went through that crisis. But an opportunity and compassion is to seize the moment. 
And so we went, I trusted God to go. This young man, Pasha, we paid a, a dollar a day. But what really grabbed my heart was seeing him here in his situation. And as we're gonna look at a little bit here, our passage, uh, the, the text for this morning is 2 Corinthians 5. I had a compellingness to me as I walked with God and I saw this dear brother. I'm like, I don't want him to feel hopelessness. That's what science and secularism led him to, that he felt hopeless. And then, there, yes, there was a calling as I walked with God, as I was in my devotions. I felt like reading this in Isaiah that all day long it said about God that he held his hand out to an obstinate nation. And I know that he was talking about Israel, but I thought, Israel seems pretty obstinate in my limited knowledge as a sophomore in college. But there was compassion, there was a calling, and then I felt compelled. But what's interesting about being compelled in a calling, I had some family say, John, why would you go there? Do you know the political situation between our two countries? My dad was like, John, I don't want you to go. You're just getting out of college, and I don't think it's a wise move. Oh, man, I really wanted to honor my dad. And God gave me some wisdom. Dad, I love you, and I, I, I don't want to go if I don't have your blessing. He goes, well, I know you. You'll go anyway. But I, he goes, okay. I go, Dad, what do you think's for them? He goes, Dad, they had religion. He said, John, they had religion. I said, I know they had religion, Dad, but I don't think they've had a real expression of who Christ is. And as believers, we have an obligation to really correct misunderstanding. And as I've traveled the world, lived in the Middle East, I just find a lot of people have a more of a problem with a misunderstanding about Jesus than they do Jesus. So I have an obligation to share that with them. And he goes, okay. And he gave me $300 to go, which by the way, with, with the ruble back then, that lasted me all summer. And I teared up when he gave me that money. At the time, my dad wasn't a believer. But since our time in Russia, you know, as we've, we were 10 years with students, the navigators, um, and then we've been overseas for nine, nine years since we've been back. But while I was here at Purdue and San Diego State, um, in the dormitories, and we would talk to students about Christ and invite them to, to study the scriptures with us. For one year, one year, and for the reason the Lord just had us in mind, we went to Kerry Quad, 1,400 guys in Kerry Quad, when you guys produce students here. And for some reason, one Anglo student came to the study, maybe because he was hosting it, and the rest were Muslim students from Indonesia, from India, from Saudi Arabia, from Palestine. And I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I was just happy to have people there. Those of you who've ministered before, when anybody shows up, you're very encouraged. <laughs> but something really caught my attention when one of the times I went, I was handing out pizza. And all the guys, were, as I was talking, they're picking stuff off the pizza. Hey, guys, I'm so sorry. Do you not like pizza? John, we're Muslims. We don't eat pork. Oh, man, talk about using the mind of Christ. I was so worried. I was, I was really tempted to lie and say, I think it's turkey. Pepperoni. <laughs> but I apologize. And, you know, the Lord used those situations, a learning experience. But as we got to know them, I found that they had really no aversion to obeying God in Christ, but whenever Christianity was brought up, boy, their minds would go into history mode. Sometimes they'd remember the Crusades. It's interesting how our friends across the world know our history and all the bad things we've done. They know it better than we do. You know, sometimes our first question is, John, why did, why did you do these things to American Indians? Why'd you do those to them? Well, well first of all, I didn't. <laughs> Maybe someone I knew did. But, you know, you as Americans, Anglo people, yeah, it's a terrible thing. But as we look around the world, all the people groups have done something somewhat or another. 
It's more about human nature, and then we could get on level playing ground with them. But I noticed when I kind of dropped some of the rhetoric of the building, and this is all tied to Christianity, there was more an attraction to the message of Jesus. And if some of you remember when we were coming in, we were doing some introductions through video of where our missionary families are. And I noticed the one in Central Asia, they limited it to we live in Central Asia. That's called a restricted access country. And as I heard there, you know, we're trying to get to know the people. We have to learn the language. That's all in the life and day of a missionary. And sometimes their home church, the, real, the church is the ecclesia, the called out ones, that's their church. And you know, in a lot of these areas, friends, we don't know how that's going to spread. Some of the countries will be allowed to call church, but some of it will be a home of believers. A home of the believers. And as we look at the New Testament, look at the names we've used for believers. Brothers, sisters, believers, followers of the Christ. So these are things the Lord will just have to walk us through. But what I was, what I was drawn to about this people group, I call the outsiders. They're the Gentiles. You know, it's said about Jesus in Isaiah 49.6. Isaiah said about him, he said, it'd be too small a thing for you to bring back the tribes of Israel and restore the tribes of Jacob. I will make you a light to who? To the Gentiles, that my salvation would reach the ends of the earth. Friends, uh, you know, the, the pictures behind me, the ends of the earth are upon us. You know, in Acts 1.8, when they said to, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, when you follow those people groups, those, that's where we are today. We've been to Judea. We've been to Jerusalem. Samaria was a hard people group for the Jews to hang out with. Gentiles were hard for Peter to hang out with. Non-Christians, non-majority Christian faith, it's really hard for us nowadays. And the ends of the earth, that's a whole other issue. But they, they don't have a problem with who the message of Jesus is. That's the outsiders. Um, pictured here, I don't know if you can see it in the back, um, one of the ways into the country, Lebanon, there is Christianity there, but a, a way in to, to kind of lower the defenses was I'm a teacher. You know, I, I love the culture. But then our Arab friends eventually would say, you know, John, what do you think about living here now? After you've evacuated, after you've seen Hezbollah get into a war with Israel. I said, I'm committed to be here because you know what? God has me here. Not my government, not a history of Christianity, the message of Jesus, and God has me here. And you know what? They love and respected that answer. Well, who does God see? As I mentioned a little bit about our world, 86% of the world's Hindu, Muslim, and Buddhists, they've never met a Christ follower. The ends of the earth are upon, it, upon us. That's who's left. In our ministry nations within, since Liz and I have been back, we're trying to reach the people groups here in America. There's, by the way, there's 82 unreached people groups living in our cities. Our ministry in the Navigators is called Nations Within, reaching unreached people groups here in the States. We're in 27 cities, um, major cities like Chicago, 400,000 Arabs, Minneapolis, home to 80,000 Somalis. The largest concentration of Somalis outside of Somalia live in Minnesota. It's amazing if you've been there, been to the airport, and sometimes there's a resistance to them, but they're not resistance to the message of Christ. The 1040 window, 4.4 billion people out of 7 billion live in this part of the world. And here's the, the, the numbers that grab my heart. 85% of the world's unreached live in this part of the world. It's youthful. 65% of the population is under the age of 30. 
Now, our passage, that would motivate us more than the numbers. That'd be beyond the numbers. You know, and talking with David before coming here, I know you guys have walked through some Ephesians and kind of a series of how loved you are. And I can't think of a better book to go through that, to think of all the blessings we have in Christ, things kept for us in the heavenlies, that Christ has done that. There's so much in that first chapter that would make any believer just step back and go, how could I be this loved? And so I've titled our, our text here in 2 Corinthians, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21, that loved people love people. You know, before uh, God called us to the navigators, Liz and I lived in Cleveland, Ohio. I was a I was a, Liz was a teacher and I was a juvenile probation officer. And we would go through seminars of why, why is there systemic crime and why do families have generational poverty and crime? And one of them was, I'll never forget the seminar, this young lady said, hurt people hurt people. And she says, here's how this generation's been hurt. And have they, because they've been hurt, they hurt others. But I thought for this text and our passage and to see how we're loved people, that we could spend 180 minutes with God knowing that we're loved. That love people love others. Love people love people. So let's look at this text to find a greater motivation of how we would go and share our lives. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. And I'm just going to highlight a few verses. Paul says that since we know what it is to fear the Lord, I think the King James says the terror since we know that judgment is coming, Paul says, we try to persuade men. Another word for persuade, we try to convince people. Our faith can be persuasive, it can be convincing, but you know, we have to have a clear message of what that means. I remember when Liz and I first moved here, we were cheap date night, we used to do the, the dollar movie, is that still here? here? Oh. And the pizza, it wasn't Bruno's, it was another pizza place, I can't remember it, $5 pizza. What was it? Arnie's. That's it. Arnie's Pizza. But it's still there? That's good. Ed, we're going to go there after lunch because it's cheap pizza. But I remember someone here was talking to me into convincing me why I needed to go to Bruno's. And they literally took like five or ten minutes telling me about all the memorabilia and how Bruno's was so much better. And really, when I was leaving, they checked on me. John, are you going to go to Bruno's? Yes. He's convincing me, persuading me to go there. Think of that motivation. Since we know the terror of the Lord as we talked about the coronavirus, people are going to their eternity. People are facing judgment. Is that something that would motivate us? Well, it is for me. So we try to persuade people. Verse 14, back to the 180 minutes with Liz and having the mind of Christ. If that doesn't, Paul says in verse 14, for Christ's love compels us. Now, compellingness just means you bring something about by force. If we really sit and meditate, and we're in the, God's word, and we're in his spirit, abiding in him, something is going to happen to all of you. You'll be moved somehow by force, by the love of Christ. You will not be able to see people differently. Paul's going to get to that here. So would love motivate you, compel you to go to people? And let's look down at 16. Because Paul has changed. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So viewing people worldly, it's terms like, I, I couldn't see them coming to faith. They're really obstinate. It's almost predetermining a decision for people. Worldliness is not looking at people spiritually. It's, it's not caring for their souls. Um, caring for people spiritually is they do have a soul. 
You know, in my line of work, I'm going to be honest with you, friends, when I've traveled and I've got two kids in the military, and sometimes I speak uh, to military navigators and sometimes some of our supporters in the military. You know, John, I, I appreciate your heart, but you know what? Those people, they don't really want the gospel. They've had it. I go, really? Like, like more than America? I, I drove past six churches on the way here. What do you mean they don't want it? Well, they don't really want our values. I'm like, well, do you know what some of the values they hear about us overseas? We lead the industrialized world in pregnancy, teen pregnancy. We lead the industrialized world in pornography, divorce. They think that's what we're bringing. I want to tell them about the values of Christ. And besides, at the end of the day, they are souls. And you know what? Because I'm following Christ's model, I look at them and I love them, and I, don't, I no longer see them from a worldly point of view. And fortunately, one of the dear brothers says, man, I'm so sorry. You know, one of them didn't. But we're going to be forced with how do we see people? Do we see them from a worldly perspective or do we see them spiritually? And the only thing that's going to change us is the love of Christ and having the mind of Christ. But here's something that God's given us from this. You know, Paul is, is narrowing down his, his address here to the Corinthians. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And listen to this. He gave us, some translations say, he gave us the gift, the ministry of reconciliation. You know, sometimes preparing for these talks and you hear this uh, saying up front from missionaries, all of you are missionaries. I haven't come to that conclusion. I'm not saying that those uh, presenters, teachers, that their, their conclusion is wrong. But what I, I see something greater here. God's given all of us a gift of ministry, and that ministry is you're to reconcile people. And later on, here's the passage I really like more, because as a kid I wanted to be this. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So what I can say is all of you are ambassadors. And your message, an ambassador speaks from his home country, and he's usually a foreigner living somewhere else. That's all of us. The message is, be reconciled to God. You're an ambassador. That's your message. An ambassador, he's also a sent one. You know, Jesus said about all of us, those who are following him, he goes, you know, just as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And as I look out on all of you, I don't know your workplace. I don't know where you're at in life. But part of walking with God, you will have to wrestle with, he's sending you somewhere with a message. And here's what's awesome about this message. In the Greek, reconciliation means bringing two people groups together who normally would never hang out. It was Jew and Gentile of the day. Um, sometimes it's Christian, non-Christian, secular, sacred person, Palestinian and Israeli. I remember I met a Palestinian guy at American University of Beirut where I did my master's. He was an activist. I'm like, Lord, why did you have me meet this guy? He's wearing the Palestinian flag and all this. He's very militant. And I asked him over for coffee and he agreed. And he goes, uh, we're talking and talking about faith. And he goes, John, I'd imagine you probably want to talk to me about Jesus. I go, yeah. And, I go, and God just gave me this quick thought. He was an activist. I go, you, you know what, um, Kareem? Jesus was an activist for all of humanity. In fact, he broke away from the Jewish law and tradition. He tried to reach people who weren't Jews. Because that's kind of why they killed him, isn't it? I go, yeah. Here, this guy was an activist. And I thought, well, what's my message? I'm an ambassador it's bringing reconciliation. And then he wanted to talk about peace between Palestinians and Israel. I go, you know what? I'm going to be here for four more years. Let's, let's give it some time to talk about that. It's been many years since then. But you know what? Let's talk about how we can be reconciled with God. You and me, we're in the same boat. And he really got that message. 
Well, why am I away from God? Well, it says here that it's because of sin in verse 21. God made him who had sin. God, I'm sorry, be careful of that one. God made him who had no sin, the Christ, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's some deep theology going on here. God made him who had no sin to be sin. And you know what? You know, I asked my family member for permission for this. Here's what sin does to all of us, regardless of where you live. That's why the nation so much need the Messiah. Sin brings so much shame and condemnation, even to the point of where, you know what, I got to escape that, and I'm going to get involved in other sins to numb my conscience and not deal with it. It's happening in our world. happened in our family. We had a family member, sadly, was with some friends and wasn't thinking and goofing around and stole something shoplifting. Got caught. You know, the store called uh, Liz and I, and my daughter got on the phone and was weeping right in the store, weeping before us when we picked her up. And some of the punishment was she's not allowed back to that store in five years. She had to pay $250 fine. We, we, we also wrote a letter to the department store and, and apologized. But as we saw, sat down and talked to our child, um, I, I, I'll just say the name. It's just hard to not say it. Ellie said, Dad, I'm so ashamed at what I did. I feel worthless. I said, Ellie, you know what? That's a result of sin. But God can take that away. He can get, put all that on Christ, and Ellie can really happen. Even the feelings of it can be gone. He wants it to be gone, or Ellie, Satan's going to torment you. Ellie was really repentant. She saved up the money, paid the fine. She goes, I can't believe I did that. And you know, that's what sin does. It leads to temporary insanity. Prolonged sin leads to insanity. Think of the arguments you had with your spouse. Thinking of whatever bad thing you were thinking of. And if you follow that thinking, it is pretty bad. I go, Ellie, that's a result of sin. Let's get forgiveness because it says here, you can have the righteousness of God. God's saying, Ellie, you are okay. With some of my Muslim friends, Mustafa, Ahmed, they're striving so hard to be right before God. It's human nature to be right before God. And you know what? We have the answer. So close that God says, we implore you, says through Paul, we implore you, be right before God. Implore is begging. Then he says again, I beseech you in God is making his appeal through us. Verse 20. You know what appeal means in the Greek? It's parakaleo. It's like Holy Spirit. Kaleo means to call out. Para means to come alongside. If you get so close to your friends as an ambassador, they're going to hear you calling out to them, be reconciled to God through the Messiah. That's our message. That's our motivation. It can be the fear of God, but it's the love of God, and it's listening. So as people who are like this, we're known for a few things. Every believer, we should be known for more of this than our political statements. In the world, we're known for life. Jesus says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy in John 10. But Jesus says, I have come to give you abundant life. Boy, I read, I read this and it really, when I was going through this, it really rebuked. Do I live like I have abundant life? Do I show my friend Craig who's studying with depression that I have victory over that? My neighbor Ed, who's been dying to hang out with us, who Liz and I, you know, I'll be honest with you, some of our neighbors, we don't want to hang out with them. We don't. Liz had a big barbecue, and like our whole street came. It shows you how desperate people are for friendship and fun. Played cards, played euchre. John, what do you do with the navigators? I'm a chaplain. 
You know, oh, I used to, I love these lines, I used to be a Christian. Oh, tell me about that. But what is my, my neighbor, uh, Joel? Joel comes after the party with me. He goes, you know, John, what do you struggle with in your marriage? Well, I did talk to my wife for 180 minutes, so I, I'm a very loving guy. But, but I, I said, you know, usually I, I said, Joel, it's pride. Um, I just come from a background of real justice, and when Liz and I are fighting, I just want to prove my wife wrong sometimes. And um, I'm usually one that's wrong. And he goes, wow, that's really like me. I go, I think it's most of us. And he goes, what do you do to get over that? That split second, I was going to say something like, oh, I listen better, and this, which I did say. But the first thing I said, I felt like the Holy Spirit gave him this. I go, you know, Joel, this may sound kind of awkward, but I try to read my Bible every day. I try to love like Christ did. The whole book's about Christ and a relationship and God wants to have with us. So I try to model a relationship that he drawn out in the scriptures. You know, Jesus invented marriage. It's not like a man thing. We would never come up with that. God came up with marriage. He goes, wow, shoot, I never thought of that. And I said, hey, Joel, you know what? If you want to read the Bible together, you know, not just because of my job, but I know it works, I'll read it with you. And he just goes, I don't know if you can see my face in the back. When I said, do you want to read the Bible? He just goes, uh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe we could do that. Walks away. Three weeks go by. I didn't bring it up. He goes, hey, John, I was thinking about, you said about reading the Bible, and Stacy and I would like to have you guys over to read the Bible. And I was like, oh, great. You know, so that was a year and a half ago. And then we've invited two other couples from our street, and we're still reading the Bible with them. And I want to show you a little bit here what we go through. But is our, our lives known for abundant life? If anyone who should be good at loving and forgiving forgiving a daughter that has shoplifted, it should be us. We've been so loved. You know, Jesus said what will really mark you as people in John 13. He says, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. So do we really model love? And then secondly, lastly, is listening. Are we known for listening? Let's heed the advice of Solomon. He who answers before listening, it's his folly and his shame. Listen to God for a message. What I love, John 11, 40 about listening. Jesus says to the disciples, he goes, did I not tell you if you believed, you'd see my glory? Glory is just God showing up and he gets all the credit. All the things we heard about ministry yesterday and today, that's all glory to God. He did it. Sometimes I love coming back as an outsider and seeing all that God's doing. You know, I sit back and I was watching David, you know, when he was uh, at our table. I'm like, David, how do you kind of manage all this? And I knew the answer. David's not managing all this. David and Sharon are not managing all this. It's the team he mentioned, but you know what? It's God loving this community. So remember, John eleven forty. 40, did I not tell you that if you believed, you'd listen to me, have faith in what I say, you'd see my glory. I love seeing God's glory. And I go crazy when I go to a football game and I see my team win and I jump up, but you know what? I just heard and seen God work. And all of us, Travis led us in worship, we rejoiced at what God has done. So are we known for our life? Are we known for love? Are we known for listening? Okay, I'm about to wrap up here, you guys. I, I really have to share this with you because there's going to be risk. And you know I wouldn't be being totally honest. I'd be um, more uh, conjuring up how fun sometimes ministry is because we know it's not. And I can't think of a better example here on motivation from Jesse Owens. This, is, this picture was taken at the 1936 Olympics when the U.S. was really at odds with the things Germany was doing. And also the things Germany was doing, they were pivoting themselves in the world, discriminating against other people groups. And we know history, what the, the uh, German regime did to the Jewish people. Six million Jewish people killed. But it was also other people groups. 
And during this Olympics, the Germans said, do not associate with the Americans, for there are intermingling races, especially the African-American race, the African race. Don't even touch them. They're unclean people. So look at this wrist. This is Lutz Long. He was the long jumper and high jumper for Germany, German national team. And there's his competition, Jesse Owens. He's pretty much rubbed up next to him, shaking hands in one of the pitchers. He is taking a risk. I don't know much about this guy's faith, but I hope, I would think, he's compelled by something to see the humanity, the soul of this man, Jesse Owens. What's amazing about this risk, Jesse Owens had been on his second default in the long jump. He was hitting the, the, the border, the default line. He did it twice. If he do it a third time, he's disqualified from the event. Lutz Long, the German guy, sees him. And he says, you know what, Jesse? If you'll just take two inches back and leave two inches before the default line, you're probably going to beat me. And Jesse Owens takes his advice. And he wins the world championship, sets a record, and beats Lutz Long. So loving people, having the mind of Christ, will also spur us on to take risks. It was a risk when I talked to Joel. John, what works in your marriage? Uh, I was going to make something up. But it's Jesus in me. So loving people, the gospel will call you to risky business. Some of you, God may call you overseas. He may call you to restricted access countries. He may call you to your neighbor. You're going to run the risk of them thinking you're just a total whack job. Can't think of any Greek for whack job, but you're just, <laughs> just, you're different. So it calls us to taking risks. So I'll, I want to leave you with this, and then a, a little helpful tool. But who, I want to ask you, who do you see? Who do you have compassion for? Do you see yourself as a sent one? And all of you have a message. It's a heartfelt message. And then lastly, your message is save people. There's no other way. There's no escape from a mind that's corrupt. There's no escape for some of our friends from a government that's corrupt. But the kingdom of God for them is the most freeing thing no matter where they live. And here's an example. I want to leave you with this tool. Some friends of mine have decided that God wanted to call them to Detroit. Some of these guys here have learned Arabic living in Detroit where there's 400,000 Arabs. So they gathered all these refugees. Some of them are them from immigrant populations. There's a Malaysian guy. There is Bangladeshi friends. But most of them are Syrian and Iraqi refugees. And so they've asked them all because, you know what, they respect holy things. A lot of the cultures outside of America, we're a secular culture. And you know what, it even affects us as believers. They're sacred people groups. They fear things. They have a healthy fear of the spiritual world. So when Andrew and Aaron said, hey, would you guys want to do a holy book study? And besides, they moved right into the hood there. And some of these guys are their roommates. And they said, hey, what do you guys do on Thursday nights? We always see you reading some book. Oh, it's the, it's the Injil, which is the New Testament Arabic, and a lot of other Eastern languages. It's the good news. And some of them said, could we read it with you? Yeah, come and join us. You know, what, what's amazing about this group of people, so I want you to think of three things, three great things. There's the great commandment to love one another. There's the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples. But here's something we really miss, and I think generationally. We miss the great community. You guys are the great community. Sadly, in the 80s, any 80s ministers here, Parks, Everett? You know when the 80s, what we were like? Sorry, he still looks so much younger than me because he lives here. Remember, locals look, look young. Um, in my generation, it was like, I'm going to go to Russia. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the Middle East. This generation is, 
hey, I want like, I see some young folks here, collegiates, uh, high schoolers. I, I can't really tell from 25 under, so I just say young people. Um, I noticed Sam there, I remember Sam from yesterday. But your generation is, let's go together. That's the great community where they see love. So I just want to commend you with that. So what these guys are doing here, it's just called Discovery Bible Series. And they just ask, four, they ask three questions, and they hope the fourth will emerge. And I think all of us here could do this with a coworker over coffee, and it's an invitation to get together. So before I get into how to do it, I want to encourage all of you to make appointments with your friends. Hey, can we get together sometime, Travis, Dave? I want to tell you my story, what God did in my life. Rarely do people say no, and in fact, you have to treat and ask them what is their spiritual background, their formation. So these guys, have they lived their lives in front of them, they said when they read the scriptures, they do three things. Hey, what, after what we just read, what does it say about God? Secondly, what does it say about people in general? Not your group, my group. What does God say about people in general? Then third, what is there for me to obey from what I just read? What does God want me to do? You know, I've been in groups like this where there's been Muslim friends, Hindu friends, and they said, yeah, I think God wants me to do this. We had a holy book study where some of our friends sometimes would bring their books, Hindu books, Buddhist books, and we'd bring the Bible. And you guys, inevitably, nine out of ten times my friends have said, you know, the Bible seems to really make a lot of sense. Could we just read the, stick to the Bible? Sure. Yeah, I guess we could do that. <laughs> Tell us some stories from the Bible. Then we'd go around the room. What does it say about God? What does it say about people? What is there for me to obey? Then inevitably what happens here? Who can you tell about this? The woman at the well. A response to love and change and new creation. You go and tell people about it. Those are things all that I think all of us could do as ambassadors. So I want to ask you, how in love are you with God? What kind of life do you know he's given you? And also, when you don't find that motivation, Lord, give me your mind. I have the mind of Christ. And be his ambassadors. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what a joy to be back in your community. Lord, you've had your hand on covenant for so long. I think of our years here, our friendships here, and Lord, you sustain that because we're a people that look to you. Lord, we've taken root below, and Father, we see fruit above, and we give you the glory. We put you in the spotlight now that you are the lover of all mankind. Lord, there's so many parents here in the room. And Lord, I love my kids, and I think of you being a heavenly father. You have a love for all the nations. Not just because it's a challenge or it's, it's ministry, but Lord, you love all people groups, and you long that they come to you, so much so that you change the course of history. You had a paradigm change when you said your son, Jesus, would be a light to the Gentiles. Lord, thank you that you're concerned of every nation. And Lord, your concern is compassion and it turns into something. And Lord, what a mystery that it turns into us that we are your ambassadors if you're, as if you were making an appeal through us. Lord, keep our hearts pure. Keep our hearts steadfast, looking at you, the author and perfecter of our faith. So Father, thank you for my friends here as the, as the weeks come forward of, of how to live out uh, your love for us. Lord, I pray you'd give them wisdom. Give them the mind of Christ to reflect you, and also, Lord, to enjoy that we are your children. In your name, Jesus. Amen.